Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I'm going to be chatting with TBI survivor Matt Faulkner. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. You can find them online at MN functionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in 2014. I'm a, a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I have my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury, due to release on March 1st. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And be sure to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. Today, our guest is Matt Faulkner. And Matt is the co-author of Most Likely to Survive, published in 2013, and the subject of the documentary film Recovery, published in 2016, both of which detail the events surrounding his unexpected recovery from the severe traumatic brain injury that he suffered three and a half months before his high school graduation. After spending nearly two months in a deep coma, unlikely to survive, Matt beat the odds by walking out of the hospital after 103 days and across the stage at his high school graduation two weeks later. He went on to graduate with a bachelor's degree in economics less than four years after that. Today, he is happily married to his husband, Kyle, and works as an auditor for NRG Energy. Outside his full-time job, he is a frequent guest speaker on the topic of TBI rehabilitation and recovery to groups of students, nurses, and young therapists. Faulkner hopes to use his experience to positively impact the current paradigm of neurorehabilitation so that it focuses more on individual patients. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm really excited to have the opportunity to share my thoughts and my experience with a wider audience across the country. Absolutely, across the world. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. what's so cool about Worldwide. the Internet, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh-huh. Matt... I would love to have you start by sharing with our listeners a little bit more of your story and what happened to you. All right. All right. So I wanted to begin talking about, like, my life before and leading up to the injury. Um, sure. I grew up with a a loving family in a great community. I had two great loving parents, and I had two um, devoted younger sisters as well. Um, around the time of the accident, you know, I um, 
I spent a lot of time with my friends just driving around, going to the mall, spending a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> spending a lot of money Typical from teenager. off of my, yeah, my minimum wage job. I worked part-time since I was 15, and I got my driver's license at age 16. Um, I was not really into sports at all. I was not athletic at all. I um I frequently uh sat out during gym class and like used it as more of a study hall. Um I was an honor student. I graduated in the top 10% of my high school graduating class. And I was also voted most likely to succeed by my by my class. Um I was uh, the National Honor Society board member at the time and I was also yearbook editor in chief. Um, so at the time of my accident, I had just turned 18, um, and I was, you know, getting prepared to go to college then the following fall. I'd already been accepted to, uh, Canisius College on a pretty good scholarship, so I was really excited to, you know, get going with that next chapter of my life. Um, so one day in March 2009, it was almost, um, nine years ago now, um, I was out with friends after school, um, and we were, we were just going to, like, a neighboring town, we went out to eat, we went to a local shop, um, and then on our way back from that, um, I was, um, sitting in the back seat of the car on the driver's side, and the driver of the car made poor judgment when she was making a left turn on, onto a like six lane road and we were T-boned by a pickup truck at around 40 miles per hour right where I was sitting in the back seat. Um I was unconscious at the scene and I was essentially dead because I was my heart had stopped beating and I wasn't breathing on my own. Um luckily there was a nurse driving by and several volunteer fire departments that responded to the accident, and the first responders administered epinephrine, and then they called upon Mercy Flight to quickly transport me to Erie County Medical Center to the ICU there. Um, I was noted in the medical records that I was in decerebrate posturing, which is a type of of body posture that indicates severe damage to the brain, uh, specifically to the brain stem. So not not a good sign at all. Um, and it was also noted that if you're familiar with the Glasgow Coma Scale, I was yeah, um, yeah I was uh, like three to four at this scene is what the medical record says, and that's the lowest you can be. So when I got to the hospital, and as soon as my parents got there, they signed off on the neurosurgeon performing an emergency ventriculostomy to relieve the swelling from, you know, I had intracranial hemorrhages all over my brain on both sides. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of bleeding and swelling, high intracranial pressure, ICP, from that bleeding. So what the neurosurgeon did was put in a little vent in the top of my um, head, like in my forehead area, to relieve that swelling and pressure, 
which can be very damaging. Um, and then after he did that, he told my parents that they would likely have to make a tough decision to remove me from life support within a year if I even survived that long. Um, so if we're going to talk about like predicting outcomes from this, I looked at the medical journal, Brain Injury Medicine, Principles and Practice, something that they published in 2007 around the time of my accident was a comprehensive review of studies looking at the outcomes of severe TBI. And it showed that patients with an initial Glasgow coma scale of coma scale score of 3 to 5 had a really high rate of mortality. Only about 20% of those patients survive and less than 10% of the patients who do survive require constant care. So a favorable outcome, which is really being able to be functionally independent and have minor deficits, um, is more likely when time to uh, follow commands is less than two weeks after the injury. And I was, I wasn't, I didn't start following commands until uh, approximately six weeks later. And that's that's all the doctor needs you to do to declare you out of the coma. Um, oh, wow. So after I didn't six realize weeks, that. Yeah, so, yeah, coma is very different than what it is in the movies and in TV. But, yeah. So when you're declared awake from the coma, it's really only because... Uh, doctor asks you to squeeze his finger, and if you can do that on command, they declare you out of the coma. So that was not very encouraging for my mother being told that I was out of the coma when I still was pretty unconscious, unaware of what was going on. My first solid memory after the incident was after over or two months later so that was that was the first time when I became like really aware of what had happened and I, I knew what day it was so it was already May my in- injury was in March um I couldn't speak at all when I first um woke up and when I first you know was becoming aware of what had happened so that was it was a very difficult time, but I um, I used an alphabet board um, on it, and I pointed two letters on it to spell out words and sentences to, you know, communicate with my family and with therapists, and that was a very good sign that I didn't sustain, that I still retained a lot of my language skills following that incident. Um, my friends tested my memory and my thinking by, you know, giving me simple calculus problems um, for me to solve. And uh, they simple also tested me by... like an oxymoron. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, in, I was in AP Calculus my senior year, so they gave me a simple, a simple problem in, from calculus and asked me to solve it to test my my memory and what I had retained. 
And um, others also tested me with, like, Spanish, like, having me identify people um, using Spanish language. And I, I could do all that. So that, those were very good signs before I could even speak. But I was able to speak by Mother's Day, and I was able to wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. And that is is um is a very, very... uh highly um advertised feature of my story. <laughs> um, so when you 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 managed to walk out of the hospital a hundred and three days I later. Did. I yeah, I did. Um were you I was, able to I did walk, a very like did you did you have to relearn all of that before you left the hospital? Oh, yes, yes. I was yeah. in a very intense rehabilitation program. It was called the Coma Stem Program at the time, and it was speech, occupational, and physical therapies five days a week to relearn how to, you know, do all the things that you once did so that you could be independent. Um, and, you know, there was, a, you know, lots of uncertainty about my prognosis from that point. Like I said, there was only a 10% chance that I would have the outcome that I did. So, you know, I'm I'm very, very fortunate. But I, a lot of it was, you know, I had a lot of great family and friends support. And I was also, I was so young at the time, too. So, you know, giving me the support that I needed to be able to recover. Yeah, and then you graduated with your class, and then you went on yeah. to college and graduated. I mean, it's yeah. so it's so inspiring because, you know, I feel, um, you know, to hear that other people do go on like that and are able to, you know, you work full time now, and that's amazing. And yeah. um, and you're married. I live, you're I live happily on my married. Own. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. And I, I live um, on my own. Yeah. Well, and let's my talk, husband, but yeah. Well, independently, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your book and your documentary. Um, so first let's talk about the book and how that came to be. Yeah, so um, the book was co-authored with um, my friend Joe Kirchmeier. He actually, a funny story, he was my baseball coach when I was seven years old, a t-ball coach, and that was the only year I ever played t-ball, but his daughter graduated with me from high school, so that's how he sort of followed my story, and then he approached me with an idea to do a book, um, so, yeah, and that's more journalistic, like I interviewed for that over a whole summer and I edited the book. That's awesome. And then how, how did the documentary come to be? Cause I've watched the documentary and it's, it's really interesting, you know, to get that complete glimpse into your, your current life. Yeah. Yeah. The documentary is really, really a great piece of work. Um, that was done by my high school friend Ryan Monopolis, who um, who came to me. With, he was in school for film at the time, and he came to me with the idea like, I want to tell your story. You know, I want to give it this great 
what it I want to you know give it the what it deserves. Um, and he really focused on doing documentaries. That's what he's you know he has a lot of experience doing. So the documentary, you know, it's told from multiple per- perspectives, both spiritual and medical. As interviews with my parents, with the driver of the car, my neurosurgeon, um, my my rehab doctor, and uh, a seminarian who was doing his um, pastoral internship at the time I was in the ICU. Um, so I I love the film. They were both completed in 2013, shortly before I graduated from college. Um, they were really a launching point for me to give greater awareness to my story and give greater awareness to TBI. And it's given me a lot of opportunities to speak to different groups and, of, you know, students. And um, ner- I've spoken to nurses, too. It's great. So I have to ask, are you still friends with the young woman who is driving the car? Uh yeah, I I um I yeah. actually just saw her a few weeks ago. Um we um we don't we don't speak that often. I mean we were friends in high school but right. you know, now we're adults. Um but yeah, I mean I've seen her I don't I don't have any hard feelings. She didn't I recognize that she did not, you know, do this intentionally. It was right you know, it was it was a mistake that she made. You know, I'm I'm glad I'm just glad that I'm able to to you know live my life, you know, with very minor deficits at that, and you know just be alive. We're we're both able we're both able to be alive, and it's good. I don't have any hard feelings, no. Yeah, that's a great attitude. Um, you know, you don't you don't have a victim mentality at all about that, and I think that's really healthy no. to recovery. You know, it um, is. yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you have that that attitude. And I did want to make sure our listeners knew that the link to your documentary, as well as your book, um, are in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check that out, um, will that remain up indefinitely? The documentary. Um, or is there I'm, a timeline on it? I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it's going to remain up indefinitely. It was actually just put online for free streaming um just last fall. So Awesome. So yeah, I'm thinking that it's just gonna be up there permanently. I want it to be. I want it to be <laughs> available for people to watch. Yeah. Huh. So Matt, tell us what all you're doing now with your advocacy work and, um, you know, just, just helping to bring a greater awareness to traumatic brain injury. Yeah. So currently I, um, I really enjoy getting the opportunity to go and speak to different groups of students and clinicians about my, um, my experience recovering from TBI and, really talking about the different therapies that I was in and my outcome and things like that, giving a patient's perspective. Um, I think my greatest opportunity to speak to date was when I got to speak at the National Honor Society induction at my high school. 
And that was very cool to me because seven years prior to me speaking at that induction ceremony, I was on that stage as the host of that event. So I, I thought that that was very cool for me to be able to share my story with the students and to talk to them about how the values, the pillars of um, National Honor Society helped me recover and help me live, like get to the point that I'm at today. And I, I also, um, I've been speaking, this will be my fifth consecutive year going to a um, graduate level physical therapy class at University at Buffalo um, and to, speaking to that class. And that's, that's really a great thing to be able to share your you know your experience and what you what you expect from um your therapist and about how patients recover well and that really a lot of it is uh, you know understanding that the the patient want, has to want to recover to be able to recover absolutely so i really like yeah and i really I really want to stress the importance of individualized care because each brain is different. And just by virtue of that, each brain injury is going to be different. So every person's baseline is different as well. And that brings up um, another thing, that another issue in this, the rehab um work is that we d- there's no clinical documentation of a patient's baseline for most patients prior to their accident so if their family or friends aren't there advocating for them you know saying this is what they did before or this is you know how they live their life there's an issue there because you therapists need to know, you know, how they can get this patient back to their life. And there's really a, a large importance in um, for patients and being self-aware of what they need to do to get to recover well and to be able to utilize resources that are available to them. And yeah, and it was it was very it was easier for me to recover because I had so much, you know, family and friend support. My parents were there every day with me in the hospital. My mom was there for the entire day and my dad slept over at night. So I had great family and friend support. And that's really important. And I think what you said earlier about you have to believe you'll get better, that that's something that I absolutely like try to instill upon people. Um, You know, if if you're going around going, this sucks, I'm never going to get better. You're not going to get better. Like we are right. what we believe we are, right? And so by right, saying, yeah, you know, I totally like, believe that. yeah, you know, like I got this. I I know I'm gonna get better. Like you know, just however it is that you need to word it, um, 
and and having people around you who will who who will help support that thought as well. You know, like you said, you had amazing friends and family, and and you know, not everyone has that, unfortunately. Right. You know, some people. Um, you know, you know, are single and maybe don't have much family living or whatever the situation might be. Some people don't have right. that. And I think that's where trying to find a support group or, um, you know, even, even if it's not a TBI support group, maybe you go out to a meetup and find people who have like-minded activities. You know, maybe you like hiking or you like painting. Absolutely. Right. So just finding yeah, a group absolutely. of people to just help lift you up in whatever way that you need it yeah there there's definitely a good importance with you know being active in a community whether or not that's a community of people who you know had tbis or whether or not it's just a community at large you know having something to do each day is great for your mental and your cognitive health mm-hmm I always like to emphasize that my return to a functional life was not yielded by me taking more than a moment to assess my injury and how it had occurred. It was a result of me accepting what had happened and realizing what was required of me from that moment on and then utilizing the resources that were there for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm very, very lucky, I think, to have been in the place that I was and have ever just sort of everything fall into place for me to allow me and to support the type of recovery that I had. Yeah. And, you know, not, like I said, not everyone has that and that can be really challenging, but I think just that, that positive attitude is just profound. Um, Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just, I, what you're doing and what I'm doing, doing advocacy work, I think that itself too is therapeutic. At least it was for me. I don't know if you feel the same way, but, yes. um, you know, whether it's writing or speaking or whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, meeting a support group, um, that itself helps me heal. Um, so I don't know. Do you kind of feel that yes. same way? Yeah. I do. Um I do. I um I really love public speaking. I love going places and meeting different people and sharing my story because I want to share the the good side of my story. Not like where I was, but how I got to where I am today. I I I know you just I listened to your uh, neuropsychologist show that you had on a couple of weeks ago. I was thinking about that because the first neuropsychologist that I saw, before even testing me, he just told me that I, you know, I was likely not going to be able to even go to college or to to live the life that I wanted to be able to live. He they tested me and then they sent a report to my to my parents, like a letter to my house. Um, with the test results, not really explaining what they meant, but it just had a had an opening letter that said it closed with a state, with a statement saying, uh, "Patient is a well-intentioned, determined young man who may not respond adaptively 
to negative feedback about his neuropsychological st- status. And that that was really a driving point for me. I, I, I memorized that statement as soon as I read it. I was like, I, I'm going to respond adaptively to whatever I need to do to get to where I want to be. So, you know, fortunately, I did not have any major deficits following my recovery. I, the original test results only showed that I had deficits with my visual memory and organization type skills, and then also motor skills, which I think is very apparent. So I did not require any academic accommodations in order to return to school. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm very, very grateful. I would say the the greatest deficit that I am currently dealing with, still dealing with um, to this day, is motor speech skills. Now, I might not sound like I have too much of an issue with that, when I'm saying to you, but I've I'm, I've prepared very well for this this conversation. So it's more of speaking, communicating effectively when I'm not prepared at work, and when I'm meeting new people. That's very difficult to this mm-hmm. day. Yeah, and you know. I don't know if you experience this, but when I go to speak to groups like a support group um, and I have to like go hide before I talk because people come up to me and they want to talk to me and meet me. And I don't have like that energy before I speak because I'm so focused on having to remember what I have to say and do Um, after I'm done talking. It's cool. I'm fine. I can talk and meet and greet and do whatever. But beforehand, I kind of have to like go hide in like a bathroom or something. Um, Yeah. Because it takes a lot of extra energy to be prepared to go on stage or, you know, so to speak. Speaking for me is very, very exhausting, but I love to be able to communicate to groups, but it's, it's still very exhausting. Yeah. Yep. I would agree. Well, Matt, we are just about out of time and I want to make sure, um, did we cover everything that you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah, I guess I would just, um, conclude with I'm very much looking to participate in research on patients with severe TBI to hopefully redesign the, the recovery model that's in place for severe TBI and I'm always looking for groups to speak with you know via webcast or right here in Buffalo so please reach out if you have a group of therapists or students that would like to hear from someone who experienced what I experienced. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for being here and sharing your time today with my listeners. I really, this is a really great and inspiring story. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I was really excited to be able to come on your show. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope that you um, have some inspiration from Matt's story. And again, I have his book and his documentary link in the show notes on blog talk radio. And just a big thank you to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And you can, again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Velmer and check out facesoftbi.com to find previous episodes of the podcast. So thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey. And I will see you guys all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.